I would like to bring you greetings from the brothers and sisters of Christ at Bethany Baptist Church. You know, your faith and your love for one another and your care and compassion for your community are an encouragement to the body of believers at Bethany. And it's a joy for me and my wife, Karen, and my daughter, Tori, to be with you here today. And uh, my name is Jerry Sanderson, and I'm on staff at Bethany Baptist Church. And uh, it's an honor and privilege to be here where I know that week after week, the Word of God is faithfully taught, faithfully preached, and it's accepted with open hearts. Today we're going to be going over Galatians 1, I'm sorry, 3, 1 through 9. So if you'd stand with me in honor of God and His Word, we're going to be going over those verses here. Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it, was, that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. You may be seated. Let's pray today and ask God for His blessing on our time together in His Word. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to You today so thankful that we live in a place where we can worship You freely. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your Spirit. We thank You for Your grace and mercy. Lord, I pray today that Your Word would speak to us, speak to our hearts. I pray, Lord, that I would be a faithful communicator of Your Word, and Lord, uh, that it would be about You, and You would do the work that Your Word is set before it in our hearts. Lord, may be receptive to what you have to say to us today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is hard to preach a passage of Scripture without the understanding of the context of what's being said where else, elsewhere in the book. Because in Scripture, usually in the New Testament, these books are written to churches. Now, in the... Uh, area of uh, kind of uh, Christianity in North America, we think of it as a personal faith, but, and it is, but these, these letters are written to churches, so you have to, have to understand the context of that church, okay, and what else is being preached and said in this book that, we're, that I'm teaching on. The, so I recommend that you read the book of Galatians when you get a chance. The book of Galatians is so rich with clear theology of salvation, of faith in Christ Jesus alone, Consider Galatians almost like a mini-Romans. Martin Luther's affection for the book of Galatians was so great that he called it his wife. So where do we find ourselves this morning as we park on this passage, Galatians 3, 1 through 9? Well, Paul had previously preached to the Galatians of the gospel. That is the atoning death of Christ on the cross for the payment of their sins and Christ's bodily resurrection as the promise for their future resurrection. Now, however, Paul 
had received word that these Galatians, they were being influenced by people. They were being influenced by people that we know as Judaizers who were trying to convince them that they needed to add something to their faith in Christ to earn their continued righteousness before God. Specifically, they were being told by these false teachers, these men, that the men in the church of Galatia needed to be circumcised to fully complete the righteous requirements of God. So this might be where I could easily lose many of you. Because first of all, it's easy to say, I don't see people coming into Bethany community and saying, the men in this congregation need to be circumcised in order to complete the righteous requirements of God. This really isn't something that affects me. Well, you'd be right, and you'd be wrong. While the specifics might not apply, the general temptation does apply. First of all, if it didn't apply, it wouldn't be in the Bible. But secondly, we have a group of people here in Galatia who received the gospel message straight from Paul himself, yet they were easily convinced that they needed to add something to the gospel in order to continue to earn the righteousness of their righteousness before God. So you might wonder why we need to be reminded of this. Well, first, there are probably some in this room who have not yet taken the step of trusting in Jesus Christ for the payment of their sins. Some may be trusting in their own goodness. You may be trusting something in some kind of cosmic scale, right? I'm a good person. I try to live a good life to kind of garner favor, favor with God. And for anyone with those thoughts, this message that Paul wrote to the Galatians and ultimately that God wrote to us is vital. So here's what's clear. We are all tempted to err on one side or another of a very precarious balance in the Christian life. On one side, we're tempted to try to do things to add righteousness to what Christ has already done. And this is what Paul is addressing with the Galatians here today in the passage that we're going over. On the other hand, we can become worldly and start to believe that it doesn't matter how, how we live or the choices we make, that, that it'll make any difference. That we can get our ticket stamped and go to, go to heaven and just live how we want like the rest of the world. And Paul does address that later in Galatians, in Galatians 5. For example, in Galatians 5.13, Paul says, For you are called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another in love. And in 5.16, he says, but I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of, of your flesh. So, there's this precarious balance, and today we're talking about this side of things where the Galatians, and sometimes we, are tempted to add, add works righteousness to our salvation to fulfill the righteous requirements of God. So, that's why it's so vital to understand that the Christian life is about walking in the Spirit, which means a vibrant relationship with God versus walking in the flesh, which means either living by rules on one hand or casting off all restraint and living like the world on the other hand. Today, we're just going to talk about the rules side of things. And what Paul says is the foolishness of trying to live the Christian life by a set of rules. So let's look at verse 1. Verse 1, let's go over that again. It says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. The word for foolish here refers to someone who can think, but they fail to use their powers of perception. There's multiple words for foolish. This is the word that Paul is using here. They, they can think, but fail to use their powers of perception. They're being irrationally, 
intellectually inconsistent, self-contradictory. It was so inconceivable to Paul that he sarcastically suggests that maybe they're under a spell or something. And Paul moves from calling them brothers, as he did in chapter 1, to calling them Galatians. This is kind of like when your mom calls you by your full real name, Jerome Bartley. Yes, and that's my real name, Jerome Bartley. And, uh, or when a parent says to another parent, that son of yours or that daughter of yours, right? That's what Paul's doing here. He's very frustrated with the Galatians. And unlike being played up like a prank where you're unwittingly tricked, the point here is that Paul believed that the Galatians knew better. He even said in verse 1, it's before your very eyes that Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. So have any of you done anything where you believe that, you know, you look back and you realize, I knew better, I knew better than to do that? Well, I have multiple times. Multiple. Too many to count. But I, as an example, so that, uh, so that you understand that we all do this, I'm going to give you a couple examples. One time I was in I, my freshman year of high school in the inner city of St. Louis on the south side, and I walked into the bathroom with a couple of guys that I'm... Um, friends of mine, and there was nobody else in the bathroom. There was just these friends of mine and I, and we went in the bathroom. And, and these guys and I, we were all good students, right? I mean, you could say kind of goody two-shoes. We didn't get in trouble, didn't do anything wrong. We had good grades, etc. And as we walked in the bathroom, there were these holes in the wall. Somebody had punched or kicked or something, some holes in the wall. And so I looked at that, those holes, and I thought, well, that's interesting. There's holes in the wall there. So I, uh, I went over and I kicked some holes in the wall. And, uh, well, that was fun. And so uh, then got done, washed hands, getting ready to go out, and a big male teacher comes walking in. And he says, uh, did, did, any of you, did you guys see anybody else in here? Because he looked at us, and of course we wouldn't be ones to do something like that. Did you see anybody else in here, he says? No, no, it's just us. And I'd actually forgotten that I had kicked holes in the wall. And he said, uh, did, you sure nobody else has been in here? No. Well, did you, any of you kick holes in the wall? I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I did that. He goes, okay, you guys are going to the principal. And I said, well, wait a minute. I'm the only one who did this. Uh, they didn't do anything. So he says, okay, then you're going to the principal. And so then I go marching to the principal. Principal says, did you, kick, did you kick holes in the wall? Yeah. Why did you do that? I don't know. You know, I don't know. I'm 14. And so, uh, and so uh, he says, okay, you're going to be suspended for three days. Oh, no. He calls my dad at work, and my dad says, I'm going to come down right now. Now, see, my dad had a job in a warehouse where it wasn't easy to get off, but he zipped right down, told the principal, this is going to be taken care of, and uh, you don't have to worry about anything. So the principal says, you know what? He's not going to be suspended for three days. I'm really impressed that you came right here. And he looked at me and said, I know your dad's going to take care of this. And so, uh, <laughs> so on the way home, I'm just sitting in the seat going, it's going to kill me, it's going to kill me, it's going to kill me, it's going to kill me. And... Uh, on the way home, he was just very quiet, and he said, did you kick holes in that wall? I said, yeah, I did. Why did you do that? I don't know. But did I know better? Yes, I knew better. And you know, just an aside, as, as another part of this lesson, I didn't get the belt. Now, I had gotten the belt before for other things, but I didn't get it. He gave me mercy and grace. Why do you think I remember that today? Because I, I deserved it, but I didn't get it. So anyway, so then another time, I'm, I'm walking with some friends, different friends, and we're in a cemetery, and uh, it had some kind of concrete pass through it, and we decide we're going to go shoot rabbits with our BB guns. Boy, men that we were. And so 
two guys in front, we're here, they're walking in front, and I'm, I got my BB gun down, and I, I think, I wonder what would happen if I kind of shot the BB gun on the ground, what would happen? Well, guess what? It ricochets and hits the guy in the back of the arm in front of me. He goes, ow, why did you do that? I said, I don't know. And so then he, we go back to his house. His dad was very angry at me. Did, didn't you know better, he says, than to shoot a gun in the direction, anywhere in the direction of somebody when somebody's in front of you? Yes, I knew better. See, I knew better than to kick that wall, and I knew better than to shoot that BB gun. And Paul finds it incomprehensible that the Galatians would move away from what they knew is true. So let's go to verse 2. Verse 2 in this, it says, Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So, Paul starts by asking rhetorical questions. What is a rhetorical question? Well, it's a question that doesn't need an answer because the answer is obvious. He's not teaching the gospel. See, he already knows that they know the gospel, that salvation is through faith in Christ alone. He is saying this is his foundational point to move from. This is the point at which he's going to establish agreement and to launch into his logic for everything else with the Galatians. It's kind of like saying to your child after they disobey you, did I say you could play video games or did I say you needed to finish your homework? The child knows the answer. They know. You're, you're saying this to, to get agreement so that you can go from there for the rest of the discussion. And this is what Paul is doing here. He's using the question to help set the foundation for everything else he's going to say. So when the Galatians hear this question, they'll say, well, we received, we received the Spirit by hearing with faith. Kind of like, yes, Dad, you said to do my homework before playing video games. So he's approaching the Galatians like he's their father and they're his children, which in a great way is really kind of how it was because he was their spiritual father. And he brought the gospel to them. And, and he saw them born again into eternal life through their faith in Jesus Christ. Notice how he's dealing with them differently than he would have if he thought they didn't understand or didn't know the gospel. He's dealing with them as someone who should know better. Adults remember being, being younger and asked, why did you do that? Or children being asked, why did you do that? Or parents may have said that to your children, you, you, did, you knew better than that. Things like, I told you, didn't you know that you should have the, the top on the blender before you, before you run it? So now we got a big mess all over the kitchen. Or did I not say a hundred times that you're supposed to finish your homework before you play computer or watch TV or go to friends or whatever? Yes. Didn't you know that failing to turn your homework in is going to result in a low grade? For all these questions, the answer is obvious. The answer is yes. We knew better when we were younger, and our children often know better now. And this is what Paul is doing with the Galatians. They should know better. And so then, what does he do? He goes back to calling them foolish. He wants to embarrass them. He wants to be clear how wrong and how dangerous it is to confuse faith and works. So the Galatians, as well as everyone else, receive the Holy Spirit when they place their trust in Jesus Christ for the payment of their sins. This is established. The point is that to be led away from faiths to work works for our salvation, it's foolish. So where else? There's other places in the Bible that talk about this, and I want to go to a couple pretty quickly here. I'd like us to turn back. Keep your, keep your finger in Galatians, and for a moment, just turn back to John. We want to go to John, John chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to John chapter 4 with me, and we're going to go to some, some other place in John 2 here real quick. But John 4, 23, we're going to John 
chapter 4, verse 23. It says, But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Okay, this is, this is what God is looking for. So now let's turn to John 6, 25. Just a couple pages over, John 6, chapter 6, verses 25 through 29 is what we're going to read here. John chapter 6, verses 25 through 29. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So that's the works to believe in the one him he has sent. Now, why is this such a big deal? Why is this so important? Well, it's, it's important because the very salvation of our souls are at stake. If you're trusting in the fact that you go to church or that your spouse or your parents are believers or you dress a certain way or do certain things or don't do other things to try to attain the goal of salvation from human effort, that is a big problem. This is what Scripture tells us. And if you've really repented of your sins and trusted in Christ's death on the cross as payment of your, of your sins, then Paul's warning to you here is to not get fooled into starting to rely on good things as the reason God accepts you. God accepts you on the basis of your faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. So salvation is from God, the Spirit, not based on works, the flesh. So in verse 3, of Galatians, Paul says, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? And in, in Ephesians 2.10, it says, We're saved to do good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. We must do, but we must do the works in the Spirit and not in the flesh. So Paul's asking them about beginning with the Spirit, now attaining the goal by human effort. It's another rhetorical question. If we begin our walk by the means of the Spirit of God, we cannot continue in works. It makes no sense. The Bible says that we are perfected by God in our lives as believers, although we will not achieve practical perfection in this life. This process is a work of God. Just as salvation is a work of God, this process is called sanctification, and it's a work of God. And verse 3 also talks about our goal. Well, what is our goal? Our goal is similar to what Peter says in 1 Peter 8 through 9. He says, though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And in, in verse 4, Paul is talking about, he's really saying, well, the first part of that verse can be restated, have all your great experiences been in vain? And Paul, in, in verse 5, talks about miracles. God had worked miracles in the Galatians' lives. Were they in vain or for nothing? And notice that in verse 5, Paul asks the final rhetorical question. 
He says, does he who supply the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? It is rhetorical. It is obvious. It doesn't need an answer. Paul had said in verse 1 that he knows that Jesus Christ crucified was clearly portrayed to them. He knows the Galatians started down their walk based on faith. So he's embarrassing them so that they would admit what has become obvious in their lives. Notice that Paul, he uses the word foolish twice. He considers them to be foolish to look to please God rather than by faith in Christ. Notice that Paul uses the word spirit three times. Each time he uses the word spirit, he's contrasting that with observing the law or human effort, which is synonymous. Paul is saying spirit, spirit, spirit. It's our relationship with God. It is by the spirit of God first and last. So what does that look like? What does this look like? Well, it has to do with our motives. Why are we doing good works? There are many good works that can be done, but they can be done in the flesh. Well, what are some examples? Well, we can teach children Sunday school in the flesh, right? We can lead a Bible study in the flesh. We can be on the worship team in the flesh. We can get up and preach a sermon in the flesh. And how do I know if that is what I am doing? Well, if I, why am I teaching? The question is why. Why am I teaching Sunday school? Why am I leading a Bible study? Why am I leading worship? Why am I preaching a sermon? If I'm teaching Sunday school because I like children, or if I'm leading a Bible study because I like being with this group of adults, or if I'm on the worship team because I really like music, or if I'm preaching a sermon to impress somebody, then I'm doing these things in the flesh. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians 3, 13. This will be the last time I have you turn somewhere, okay? 1 Corinthians 3.13. This talks directly about this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse, verse 13, Paul is talking about works. Okay? He's talking about the value of the works that we do. He says, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, as though he himself will be burned, but is only through the fire. Okay? So in verse 12, go back up to verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will be manifest, for the day will disclose it. Okay? So it's what type of work is it? It's what type of work is it? It has to be built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And it has to correspond to that foundation. And if, and if the work has something of value, then that quality of the work will be made known. And that, that quality includes our motives. The motives, of the, work, the motives into the work will be included in how that work survives. So if I'm doing work as a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm doing Sunday school or if I'm doing Bible study or worship team or preaching or anything else with a passion for the glory of God and to make His name known and have His kingdom advance, then those works will ultimately be shown to have value, gold, silver, precious stones. However, if I do these same works in the flesh, 
or with fleshly motives, then those works will be shown to be like wood, hay, or straw, and they'll be burned up. So the Galatians, they were being tempted to turn to some legalistic rules to try and perfect themselves before God. And we do this. Don't get me wrong, there's certainly things that we should do as believers, and there's certain th- certainly things that we should avoid as believers. But living by codes is no replacement for a heart filled with a passion for God. We can easily find ourselves step by step living, starting to live by codes and thinking that we are walking in the Spirit of God. I got this letter, it's an excerpt of a letter from a young lady named Cindy. And Cindy was in a very legalistic, rules-based Christian organization as a teen. And this is just an excerpt of a letter that she wrote. She writes, I would love to write that I get it now, that I fully grasped God's grace, but I can't yet. However, I can tell you how I got where I am. God's best seemed to come in the form of rules and standards that I thought made me holy. I quickly learned that the way to please God was by my works. I wanted the joy and shining eyes of the other students I saw who grew close to God by their commitments to Him. Sure, my salvation was by faith, but after that, the burden of proof lay on me. This led to years of cyclic depression. Life moved on, and so did I, or at least I tried. I married, I had my first child. Slowly, I began my journey away from works toward grace. That was nine years ago. Over those years, God has led me baby step by baby step to where I am now. Those baby steps have included counseling, medicine, more counseling, Bible studies, friends who listen, and God himself picking me up and drawing me close. I've actually begged God to let me not believe in him because somehow that seemed less painful at times. But he won't let me go. Today I'm learning that the more honest I am about my doubts, fears, and sin, the more I catch glimpses of what grace really means and how deep it runs. I don't know that I can remember a time before this that I came to God spiritually naked, not trying to sew together fig leaves of self-abasement. I feel more vulnerable than I ever have. In fact, it's a daily choice to not revert back to the old life of works. I'm tempted sometimes to forego this journey to healing because it contains pain. But then I catch glimpses of the old me, repressed for years by legalistic works and by what others thought I should be. And I cling to hope that he is not finished with me yet. You see, there are real consequences to being a Christian and trying to attain favor from God through our works. Think of taking a trip on a plane. Okay. Let's say you're taking a trip to France. I've never been there, but I want to go. So you start on your trip to France by going to the airport, getting on a jet, and you're flying. And then ha- partway through, something happens. You're sitting next to someone and they say to you, I be- hey, I belong to this group of people and um, we have this great tradition that goes back a long time. And what we've always done is we've always swam and walked to get to France. Now, we've ag- we agree that starting on a plane is a good idea, uh, but so we've done that. But now what we do as a group is we, once we get over the North American continent, we jump out of the plane fall to the water, and then we swim the rest of the way, thousands of miles to France, and then we walk the rest from there. So would you like to join us? Would you, you want to be part of our group? So what would you say? I know that sounds silly, but that's exactly how silly and foolish the Galatians were being and how we can be. 
If you're a believer in Christ and have reconciled with God, then don't step out of the plane in midair and try to fly the rest of the way yourself. Trust in Christ. Run to God who cares for you. Not only can we find ourselves going down this road, but we can easily present expectations for others to follow certain unwritten rules and guidelines. And people can get the message, whether we want to send it or not, that when we're talking to them about Christ, and what they really hear us saying is, hey, come and be like us and and join our particular Christian culture. That's the message that they can get. You know, it's so easy to confuse culture with Christianity. It can be things like a lot. It can be a million things, but it can be like clothes people wear, hairstyles, music, just some examples. If we're reaching out to our larger community with the love of Christ, and and you're doing this, you have compassion ministries here, it's wonderful, and you're reaching out into your community, and if you're you're coming out, you're coming across people who've grown up in a very different culture, with very different values. You see, it's God's work to transform people into His image. He's the one who changes people's values. Let's say you're talking with somebody from Peoria with very different values and a very different culture, and they give their life to Christ. And then we come along and we say, you know, um, your clothes, they, they really kind of should look like this. And, and you know, your, your music, um, they should be like this. And oh, oh, by the way, your, your hygiene should be more like this. You know, the Bible says cleanliness is next to godliness. Well, you know, actually it doesn't. We would be like those Judaizers who came, from, came to Galatia. I remember when I was sent on a mission trip to Ecuador. I actually went on two mission trips. Um, and I congratulate that Ted's going uh, on a mission trip. Um, if you ever have a chance to go on a mission trip, um, please do it. Um, plan now to go on a short-term mission trip sometime in the next five years. It was, it's made a world of difference in my life. I went in 2004, then I went again in 2007 to Ecuador. And we went to two very different places with two very different people groups. And they had different cultures, not only from us, but from each other. And here's the thing. When we went there, we were with believers, and we worshiped with believers from those different cultures. Their worship style was different. Their music was different. Their clothes were different. Their hygiene was different. But they had the same Lord, and they had the same spirit. It was so great that Steve Hornbrook, our leader of the, of the trips, he prepared us and told us. He said, now these believers... They're going to do things differently. They're not wrong. They're just different. It was great. It was great to, be, to, uh, to know that ahead of time. So God allowed me to use those experiences to help me as I meet people in Peoria and wherever else who are different from, from a different culture. The key is not clothes, but Christ. Not music, but worship. And not hair, but heart. It's one of the benefits of going on a short-term mission trip. And so, God is working on everyone who believes in Christ in His way. And there's freedom in Christ. Now, that freedom is not to be used as an excuse to sin. This is covered later in the book of Galatians, and we talked about that. This is the other side of the precarious balance that we talked about. That's why it's so important to understand about walking in the Spirit is a relationship with God, not following rules. So now, we get to verses 6 through 9, and he starts talking about Abraham. Right? In Galatians, start talking about Abraham. Why does Paul bring up Abraham? Well, who was coming and trying to add works to the Galatians' faith? Right? It was Judaizers. 
And they had Abraham all wrong. They considered Abraham the father of their religion. So the, the, the Judaizers traced their religion all the way back to Abraham. But they had Abraham wrong. Paul knows this, and he shows the Galatians that they had Abraham wrong. Abraham wasn't just the father of the Jewish religion. He was, most importantly, the person that God gave the promise of an heir coming to him and Sarah at an old age, and that the whole nation, there would be a whole nation coming from him, and ultimately the Messiah. And here's the key. Abraham believed God. And what does it say? It says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Paul is showing the Galatians that it's belief and trust in God that brought Abraham righteousness, not Abraham's works. So while the Jews were presenting the Galatians with their ancestral history back to Abraham, and that's where God first commanded circumcision as a sign of the covenant, Paul presents Abraham as the father of the promise, not the father of circumcision. Paul shows that what makes us sons of Abraham is not following the sign of circumcision, but following Abraham in the promise of the one true God. Abraham had the promise of Christ. We have the crucified and risen Christ. We love Him. If we love Him and we seek Him and we know Him and in knowing Him, we can trust and obey Him joyfully. That is walking in the Spirit. Are you here today and you can't say that your sins are forgiven by God? If you're not a believer in Christ, why not? Why not? Is it because you're not sure? Is it because you don't want to give something up that you think God might ask you to give up? I ask you, is there anything more valuable in this world that is ultimately more valuable than having your sins completely forgiven and washed away? You can, be, you can have your sins forgiven and have the gift of eternal life, and this can happen today. It's about letting go of your pride and humbling yourself to recognize that God, your creator, and your sins have separated you from him. And his wrath is ready to be poured out on you. That's something to consider. God's wrath ready to be poured out on me. However, God's love was so great that he sent his only son, Jesus, to be born of a virgin, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas, and to live a sinless life. And he showed great compassion and mercy and grace to people. And in the greatest act of compassion ever recorded, the Son of God let himself be painfully executed on a cross And the Son of God, even more so, more painfully, took all of our sin on Himself. And the wrath of God was completely exhausted on Jesus Christ. Jesus then rose again, hallelujah, and is now at the right hand of the Father. Therefore, if you admit your sin before God and place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the payment of your sin, the Bible says you're born again and you become a child of God. And if you're here today, and you want to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you can see me or one of the other pastors, and we can talk with you about that and give you some information about that, help you there. And if you're here today, and if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, but you realize that you have slipped into resting on a set of rules or in conforming to a certain Christian culture in order to be perfected in the flesh rather than in the spirit, then go back to your love and cast off the shackles of rules and expectations and run to Christ and His Word. Ask Him for a heart of love for Him and His Word and a heart of compassion and love for others. Take the time, and yes, it does take time,
to cultivate a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ, and it will be for your joy and for his glory. Let's pray. Dear gracious God, Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are the good God who loves us. You are the God of complete grace and mercy. You're the God of righteousness and justice. And Lord, we come before you as beggars. And Lord, you are so merciful to accept us on the basis of faith in your son, Jesus Christ, and wash us white as snow. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, Lord, can cleanse us. Lord, make our hearts yearn for you and for your word. Help us, Lord, to live in the spirit, to walk in the spirit, and to worship you in spirit and in truth. Help us, Heavenly Father, to give grace to one another and to show grace and to show love and to show mercy. Heavenly Father, help us help to, us to be conformed into your image. Thank you, Lord, that we can come before you and ask these things. Help us to trust you. Give us faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.